faithwire.com. Well, hello, and welcome to 4 and 3, a podcast breaking down four of the most important stories of the day and three things you need to know about them all from a Christian perspective. Today's Monday, April 20th, 2021. I'm Dan Andros, and coming up on the podcast today, Planned Parenthood admits they have major problems with their founder, Margaret Sanger. Uh, in his first on-camera interview since leaving office, President, former President Trump talks about his plans for 2024. And the oldest living American, a woman whose life was marked by her strong Christian faith, died died in her sleep over the weekend. We have her amazing life story coming up. And Oscars producer admits Americans turn off the TV when celebrities start talking politics. Huh? There's a revelation. <laughs> I mean, who would have thunk it, guys? Finally, one of the producers figures it out. Um, a couple a couple things of note today, Trey. Uh, joining me as always, by the way, Trey Gones Phillips, FaithWire.com. And man, it's the 22-year anniversary of Columbine. It's kind of mm-hmm. crazy to think that 22 yeah. years have gone by since then. Um, I mean, you're a young guy. You probably barely even remember that. I mean, how? I mean, yeah. I don't want to date you, but I don't think you were. You weren't that old when that happened, were you? Yeah. No, I I was born in '92, so it didn't happen. You know? Yeah. I was little when it happened. Yeah. Uh, but it's just. It's still crazy to think that that was 22 years ago. Yeah, yeah, and I remember because I was just out of college and um, just working my first job in news, and so that was one of the first sort of big news stories that uh, that kind of came our way. And it was just you hadn't really seen a shooting like that, so it was kind of shocking. Um, they're all shocking, but um, you know, it it really kind of stuck out because uh, nobody in that generation had seen anything like that. So really, uh, it's a sad anniversary, but uh, it's even sadder that it continues to happen. Story number one. Current Planned Parenthood head Alexis McGill-Johnson penned an op-ed in the New York Times over the weekend calling on progressives to stop making excuses for their founder, Margaret Sanger. We're done making excuses for our founder, reads the title of the article, which uh, dives into Sanger's debated, uh, quote-unquote, history on race issues. Um, The article says, For 11 years that I've been involved with Planned Parenthood, which is founded by Sanger, her legacy on race has been debated. Sanger, a nurse, opened the nation's first birth control clinic in Brownsville in 1916 and dedicated her life to promoting birth control to improve women's lives. But was she or was she not racist? It's a question that we've tried to avoid, but we no longer can. We must Hmm. reckon with it. So that was kind of the gist of the article and dives into some of the controversial remarks that she's made. And um, it kind of talks about um, this basically in line with a lot of the things you see from woke culture where they're sort of looking at historical figures and uh, going after their their legacy. But Margaret Sanger was definitely a eugenicist. Um, yeah. You know, some of her quotes they try to defend on race, but it's like, you know, living in the early 1900s, talking, you know, she often talked about breeding the perfect race and weeding out the undesirables. So, and then all the Planned Parenthood started popping up in the inner cities. So it's kind of like, oh, uh, you know, I... I can connect the dots here. So, um, but they are addressing that, and they are and they are now uh, kind of moving in that direction. So, what's the left saying? Well, the left has celebrated this move um, and generally supports it. What's the right saying? Well, former NFL standout and outspoken Christian Ben Watson he issued a blunt retort uh, to to the calls about talking about Sanger's past um, and addressed the obvious elephant in the room, which is abortion. His tweet um, after Alexis McGill Johnson said, we need to talk about Margaret Sanger. That was her tweet for the article. Watson replied, we need to talk about killing children. 
And uh, yeah. and so why does it matter? Well, it matters because, I mean, it's so ridiculous that that's like the big issue for them. It, it kind of feels to me, you know, to make an analogy, it's like if if Colombian drug cartels started talking about how Pablo Escobar really hated Americans and, you know, discussing all the microaggressions that that causes between the Colombian people, the American people, and, you know, dive it into something like that. And it's like, hey, how about we talk about all the cocaine and the murders that's going on there? Isn't that kind of more impressing than the whole, you know, yeah. microaggression thing? Yeah. Um, so it's the same thing with Planned Parenthood. It's like they're, you know, per, have, you know, having people get abortions every single day. That's what they do. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands of them. So, like, why not address that? And so, so why does it matter? Because life's valuable. It begins at conception. You know, the Lord begins knitting us in the womb right away. You can see the blueprint with DNA, which is present from day one. So, yes, it's true that Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist and probably a racist, but you guys are killing unborn babies in the womb. How about we address that first? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of just a, a product of the, this past year, right? Like we looked at that uh, from a public health standpoint, the only thing that existed is or exists is COVID-19. Uh, and then you look from a political standpoint, a social standpoint, the only thing that exists in 2020 and 2021 is racism. So we're yeah. seeing like the there's we're addressing Margaret Sanger now from the racism angle. Uh, when, like you said, it's just, it's totally, it's like the point is, is going so over their heads. <laughs> right. It's kind of like, I'm just sitting here thinking, okay, what is like the Italian mob? And we start saying, you know, we cr start criticizing the Italian mob for being too, too all, it's not diverse enough. Y'all are right. all Italians. Right. Yes. That's the real <laughs> sin. It's not that you're killing people or that, or that you're destroying livelihoods or not blackmailing people. It's you just are not diverse enough. So if you would just step up the diversity, yeah. we can, you know, we can look past the other issues. We yeah. can look past the, the human rights violations right. and the murders. Like we, that's not, that's not a big deal. Right. We just, need to achieve mob diversity and yeah, then exactly. we're all set and then we're all set yeah it's, so it's like it's missing just, the point obviously yeah yeah it's just so dumb i mean i'm glad i guess that they're <laughs> acknowledging the the errors and the wrong thinking yeah. of their founder but my goodness could you could you lack any more self-awareness on this issue totally unbelievable <laughs> so, anyway uh on to story number yeah. two uh, so in his first on-camera interview since leaving the White House, former President Trump told Fox News' Sean Hannity last night that he is, quote, beyond seriously considering running for president again in 2024. Here's a portion of that uh, interview. Are you running again in 2024? What, what, what are the odds? If I were to First ask of all, it's a long time. The odds, the odds, what are the odds? Look, the odds. I got tremendous yeah. numbers. Nobody's ever gotten the numbers I got. No sitting presidents come even close. There's more popularity now than there was the day before the election because they see how bad things are at the border. They see what's going on. They see that their guns are going to be gone, their Second Amendment, their taxes are going up, regulations are going through the roof, jobs are going to go out. What do you see? You know, this is going to take a little while to show. But if they add all these regulations back, the jobs are going to be gone. Your energy independence is going to be gone. So... I, I say this, I, I am looking at it very seriously, beyond seriously. Uh, from a legal standpoint, I don't want to really talk about it yet. So Trump also said during the interview that he's game to help any Republicans in the midterm elections next year. Uh, he said he believes the GOP has a really, really good chance of winning back the Senate, which right now is split 
right down the middle at 50-50 with uh, Vice President Harris being the tiebreaker. Uh, the former president also told Hannity he is prepared to travel and deliver speeches and hold rallies for candidates who want his help, adding he is all in to help the Republican Party. Uh, as far as what Trump misses most about being president, he said, I miss the most helping people because I can directly help people. That's why I did it. This has been a very traumatic year. I had a great life, great company, great businesses. And now he says that he has no problems. Uh, so what's the left saying? Well, certainly the left would not be too happy with Trump if he ran again in 2024, <laughs> given he still remains the target of many Democrats' ire, even though he's no longer in elected office yeah. at all. Like, he still kind of is the boogeyman for yeah. the left. Well, they know what butters their bread. Butters their bread, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's what's the right saying? Well, I, I think conservatives are, are pretty split on this. Uh, some are totally on board for another run from Trump. Uh, others, though, are eager for a younger, new standard bearer. All eyes right now seem to be on Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, a Marist poll from December of just shy of 1,000 people found that only 67% of Republicans wanted Trump to run again uh, in 2024. Obviously, that's a bit dated, and it's a small sample. And presumably, the further removed from the election in 2020, the higher that number is going to mm -hmm. go. Uh, but what you know? Why does it matter? I think for the right, this matters a lot. Uh, it matters to the left too, and how they campaign. Uh, but it's obviously going to make a big difference to Republicans to see whether Trump puts his hat in the ring again, or if he decides to play kingmaker. Uh, presumably, at this point, uh, conventional wisdom seems to to suggest he'd be playing kingmaker for DeSantis. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think strategically it might be a wise decision for Trump to just kind of keep his stock up, you know, like to keep doing interviews and to keep kind of teasing out yeah. uh, whether he's going to run. Because even if he doesn't run, uh, he's remained relevant. He's he's probably angered the left and driven them further to the left, yeah. which could would only bode well, I would think, for whoever the nominee is, the Republicans. Yeah. And I mean, look, that's been his pattern, you know, throughout his history is he's always kind of threatened to run. And, um, and then he finally did it, obviously, in 16 and, you know, got traction and obviously won. So uh, surprising a lot of people. But I, I think uh, it's normal for him to do this. He always yeah. kind of puts himself out there. Um, and given that he was already president once, uh, it's completely obviously possible that he does it. But the other interesting thing, too, is if he doesn't even really want to do it, um, let's say in his mind, he's like, eh, I don't really want to do it again. Um, I, I, it was fun, but uh, I'd rather, you know, be, use my power in other ways. Um, you know, he could easily direct fire for, you know, to, to help other Republican nominees, um, yeah. basically let the media fixate on Trump all this time, you know, leading up to it. And then by the time he says, Hey, you know what? I'm not doing it. You know, a DeSantis or a gnome or whoever else might emerge, uh, they would have avoided press coverage for, months you know <laughs> yeah. and it would have all been trump and trump 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 and then now you got to create some narrative you know we know the press is very you know exaggerated when it comes to you know warning about trump and and you know for all of his flaws they always seem to exaggerate them by a hundred factor yeah so uh so it could be a strategy you know that they always say trump plays 3d chess with the press so um you know maybe that's what he's doing who knows yeah yeah, and I do. I think that's true as far as the media goes, because 
they will always, always, always take the bait. Oh, like if, always. If Trump, they if Trump is going to tell, yeah, if he's going to put himself out there, it's kind of like the magician, like, look what I'm doing in my left hand so you don't see what I'm actually doing in my right yeah. hand. I think that, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, like the Brian Stelters of the world, even the oh. Sean Hannity's, I mean, all of those big names, that no doubt in my mind, they cannot help themselves. Right. They're going to make him the focus, even if he ends up, like you said, not even running, uh, much less being the nominee. Yeah, Don- Donald Trump is is to the media is Marty McFly's, uh, you know, chicken, right? Exactly. Don't call me chicken. He can't resist it. You call him chicken. He's just like, all right, I'm going to fight. And it says yeah. the press is the same way with Donald Trump. It's like they'll just jump right in. They'll take the bait every time you're 1000 uh, yeah. percent correct with that one. So, all right, let's head into uh, story number three. And here's a here's an amazing story, Trey. We've got the oldest living American. Um, whose life was marked really by her strong Christian faith. She died in her sleep over the weekend in Charlotte, North Carolina. And man, Hester Ford had just celebrated her, what they believed to be her 116th birthday um, Mm, last August. And, you know, during that uh, celebration, she summed up her life's uh, goal by saying, I'm living for the Lord. And so, man, what an incredible life this woman lived i mean you know you're a legend when they're not even 100 percent sure exactly how old you are it's like eh i mean we think maybe 115 116 um but they say at least at a minimum she was 115 maybe 116 so that would put her being born right around 1905 um and so so she was born on a on a on a farm in lancaster county south carolina and she grew up there plowing and picking cotton uh, she was 14 years old when she married her husband, uh, John, who later died in 1963. Uh, wow. She had 12 children, 68 grandchildren. Now, this one will blow your mind. 125 great-grandchildren and 120 great-great-grandchildren. I mean, wow. that is mind-boggling. Um she gave, How did she remember all of their names? No way she remembered all no, of her family no. people were, names. <laughs> I couldn't. Right. People were showing up at parties and then just saying like, hey, I'm related to you. Like, oh, it makes sense. I mean, you're not the only one. There's hundreds of them. Yeah. Um, so, so, but she herself had 12 children and gave birth to their first at age 15. Hmm. Um, so she took care of the house, the farm, and the children while her husband worked at a local steel mill. Then when her husband died... Uh, they had just sold the farm, uh, and then a couple years later, her her husband actually passed away. And so for the next half century, until she was 108, she lived in that same neighborhood home that they bought after selling the farm, uh, and lived on her own without living assistance or anything like that, um, until until she was 108, and that's when she had had a fall in the bathtub and then bruised her ribs. And her family basically insisted, like, okay, you gotta you got to come live with us now. So well over a hundred living by herself. That's, that is Mm -hmm. insane. Um, and so she, I mean, she lived through two global pandemics. Once we hit this one with, with COVID, she lived for the, through the influenza pandemic of 1918. And she was a teenager at that time. Um, and so a researcher that was uh, interviewed in a local paper about this story said that she's the last known American born before 1906. Listen to this perspective. When you consider that she was a mother of a World War II era veteran, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, that's honestly one of the last living links to an era that is basically gone. I mean, a mom, I mean, there's barely any World War II veterans left, let alone a mom of one. That is, that is mind boggling. 
Um, The oldest living human is Japan's Kane Tanaka, who turned 118 on January 2nd. Um, And so now she is the only one who's the only known remaining mother of a World War II veteran. Apparently she is as well. Hmm. So why does it matter? Well, obviously, uh, you know, the Lord's the only one, Trey, that has our days numbered. We don't know how many days we have. And so they keep asking her, you know, what they, they when she was alive, like, what was her secret to her long living? And uh, I think she, at least she seemed to know that it didn't come from her efforts. Yeah. Um, and so you could see that her daily routine, which was really cool. Um, you know, she said she always had a banana, would always go outside when, when they could, when the weather permitted, games with the family and singing the gospel. Her family says she prayed at 12 o'clock every day, and she prays the 23rd Psalm, John 14, and the Lord's Prayer every single day. Um, so what a great legacy she left for her family, and by the sounds of her that routine, you know, that legacy would have been left whether she lived 115 years, 100 years, 80, 50, whatever number it was. Um, it sounded like she yeah. had it down. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, in Genesis, I can't remember which chapter it talks about how we can, you know, live 120 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's like the, the number after... I guess it became the the cutoff because people used to live to be like 900 yeah, and God like was just like, I yeah. can't, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> we, I'm just kidding. But yeah. um, so growing up, there was a woman at our church uh, who now has to be in her late nineties, mm-hmm. um, maybe early hundreds, totally healthy, still lives 100% independently. Um, just a few years ago, I remember we were talking uh, about her family, her kids live, I think in Michigan, Missouri, you know, somewhere. I think it's Michigan, actually. Uh, and she said, uh, her kids just said, you need to come live with us. You know, you're getting older. And she said, no, uh, what? I'm not coming to live with you. She said, I'm I'm completely fine living by myself. I'm not moving somewhere that cold. Y'all can move here if you want to. And we're in Virginia. Um, oh, but funny. like even into her early 90s, she's she's from uh, Switzerland. Mm-hmm. She was traveling overseas to go see her extended wow. family. Uh, like, like I said, just totally, completely healthy and independent and just, I mean, lives uh, just a really full life. So I'm, it's just, it's really cool to see people like that Yeah. Uh, who just have, have been blessed with good health uh, and take advantage of it and, you know, live life to the fullest, even in, as they get older. Um, so, but what a testimony, like you said, of someone who is faithful to what they believed uh, and, and really set an example for hundreds literally of yeah. grandchildren and great-grandchildren amazing amazing so, just yeah a truly amazing story and, and a nice a nice bit of good news too yes uh, even though she she passed away she lived an incredible life and that's worth celebrating amen so all right story number four uh this one is less exciting right, to, <laughs> less interesting too uh, but so an anonymous oscars producer uh is admitting what everyone else sitting at home already knows <laughs> Uh, which is that celebrities giving politi- political speeches during award shows uh, is the surest way to kill ratings. <laughs> so, buried toward the bottom of a New York Times article uh, about the Oscars declining viewership, the outlet reported this. Increasingly, the ceremonies are less about entertainment honors and more about progressive politics, which inevitably annoys those in the audience who disagree. <laughs> Stunning. Uh, (laughs) The report continued, said one recent producer of the Oscars who spoke on the condition of anonymity to uh, to discuss confidential metrics said minute by minute post show ratings analysis indicated that vast swaths of people turned off their televisions when celebrities started to opine on politics. (laughs) 
So the Grammys has seen a similar, a similarly steep decline in viewership in March at the award show, which lasted almost four hours. Mm. Four hours. That should be another hint. Yeah, and also featured a pornographic performance right, uh, that yeah. we've talked about. Yeah. So they saw a 41% decrease in viewership in just one year. Uh, only 91 million people watched this year. Almost 20 million watched last year. So that still seems, both of those still seem like big numbers. But for context, in 2012, following the death of Whitney Houston, 40 million people watched the Grammys. So mm. that's quite a decline in not yeah. that many years. Especially when you consider we have more access to technology. And so it's yeah. easier to watch it than ever. Right, because they're streaming everywhere. Yeah, if you're sitting at the um, airport or something, you can just, you know, pop it on your phone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but in, in in early April, uh, less than one million people, less than one million, watched the Screen, Actor Guild's Award, Screen Actors Guild Awards. Uh, that one's not as surprising because their viewership has never been huge. Yeah. But it's still pretty amazing that in a country of 300-some million people, Only one, less yeah. than one million watched yeah. this show. Yeah, can I... Uh, that was... Can, can I interject on a, on a proud parenting moment I had that you just reminded yeah, yeah. me of with the Grammys? Um, we were, I forget where we were the other day, but we were talking about something going on and the Grammys came up and my daughter had no idea what the Grammys even was. She's just like, mm. I don't, we don't watch a lot. We don't really watch any TV or, you know, anything like that. We just kind of, we read, you know, we, we keep up on current events and stuff, but she had no idea what it was. And I was just like, <laughs> yes. I'm like, that yeah. was awesome. So anyway, and she's. She's not missing anything. So no, not in at fact, all. Her life is probably better without I, yep, it. Yep. I feel no shred of regret. Not even <laughs> one ounce or a morsel of regret that she has no idea what it is. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, good on her. You yeah. Know, let her know if you haven't already. Her life is better for it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so what's what's the left saying? Well, even in the Times article about the Oscars, it's clear Hollywood, which is of the left, of course, is not at all moved by the steep decline uh, in viewers. Uh, the New York Times went on to say that the show's producers' focus this year will be less on winning and instead about making sure that the notably oh diverse group of nominees has a better than average <laughs> time uh, by making the event more communal and intimate. Mm. Uh, so one thing of note, I guess, is that they did, uh, they are making an effort to have the celebrities not wearing masks because <laughs> they want to, to make people more excited and masks is, you know, kind of depressing. So I guess the virus isn't a threat anymore when you have ratings to get. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Though I don't know, some of it, if not most of it, probably will be broadcast from home, which just uh, makes okay. for boring television yeah. anyway. But I mean, you have reporters now doing these live shots, and they're out in, outside with no one around them, and they're wearing masks. They're, it's like, what are right. you doing? But anyway, yeah. so yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they still do it from home, sitting at their own house <laughs> That's with true. a mask on. Well, I mean, they don't want to spread COVID to their dog. I get it. <laughs> So what's, what's the right saying? Well, certainly uh, some of the decline, maybe even a lot of it, is due to the fact that no one watches something for four hours <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. Uh, we could, you know, you and I can just pull up Twitter or Instagram and we can watch short clips of, yeah. of the four hour show instead of sitting down for that, that long time. Uh, and it doesn't help that this year there have been hardly any movies that people recognize right. or really even invested in because movie theaters were for the most part closed for 12 months. Uh, 
But for the right, I think there is an obvious win for them, which is that people are sick of the political posturing and lecturing. Uh, conservatives have made the case that some spaces like sports and entertainment should be, for the most part, apolitical, a space where Americans of all different perspectives can come together and, and enjoy something. And I think that's why it matters, uh, because we, you know, we have fewer and fewer places, Dan, where we can go and I, I can turn off the political yeah. brain and like I can just be entertained or I can just laugh alongside someone who is maybe yeah. wildly different than I am politically mm-hmm. uh, and just enjoy each other's company. We have to fight against that. And I know how hard that is. I mean, we have social media, Hollywood, the news media, all of those places are doing their best to corral Americans into their corners uh, and convince them that those on the other side of the fence are evil incarnate. Right. Um, but I, more importantly, I think as Christians, we really, really need to fight against this. A pastor friend of mine once told me that the moment we start to see people on the other side of the aisle from us as enemies, uh, that's the moment we lost an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Yeah. Uh, and and as believers, isn't that our you know that's our chief goal here uh, is to be to be sharing the gospel and to be glorifying God. Uh, and if we're just going to see each other as as just political bodies that are completely devoid yeah. of like all kinds of complexities that is humanity. And we just see them as a, as a different political perspective and therefore an enemy. Yeah, man, what a miserable life we're living. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, Twitter, was always sort of a different, it's like its own little universe, but I think yeah. it's becoming more real life. Um, hmm. you know, with, with the actions you're seeing, like these corporations take, like moving out of Georgia and making it all political and, um, you know, it's funny, Trey, because you have one, too, but we both have the blue check mark, the coveted yeah. blue check mark on Twitter, which whatever. I don't really care. But, um, yeah. you know, it's helpful as a journalist because you want to be able to, um, you know, when you're reporting stuff that they know that's coming from a real person, all that other stuff. Um, so it is helpful. But then it's funny because whenever I want to or have the urge, like if I'm following sports figures I like or whatever the case may be, like if I want to reply, I remember that. You know, part of having that blue check is your reply gets, I think, put up higher. Like if, if someone with a blue yeah. check responds to you, it gets put up higher in the response list. I think I don't really know how it all works, but I've thought there's been many times where I just don't even bother replying to like someone I'm a fan of or something like that, because I know that they're they're going to see my profile and, you know, that I've worked for conservatives and I work for a Christian network and, um, you know, they're going to politicize that and a lot of them are just you know the woke culture will come after I, i've many times i've had people reply to me just saying oh you worked for uh the blaze and glenn beck in your past you know like oh so the ad hominem attacks come so it's just yeah it ends up not even being worth it but to your point it's like exactly right like we see each other as just oh they're that they're that yeah. political thing and like we can't just enjoy one another i think the last award show i remember enjoying trey it might have been the oscars do you remember that um, the one bit that they did where they brought in just regular people and they, they which one was mm-hmm. that? Was that the Oscars? You remember that? And they brought them in. I'm not sure. And they came into the audience and it was it was really funny. It might have been like Kimmel doing it or something. Yeah. Um, but I was just like, here's a time where they just had fun with regular people. They, they involved the crowd. I think they put them on a tour. Like it was, it was somebody that was on one of those like Hollywood tours on like one of those buses that goes by famous houses or something. And yeah. then they made the stop, the actual Oscars, and they went in and got to go into the taping and meet mm-hmm. all the people. Anyway, stuff like that would be just fun. But they can't yeah. do it anymore. They just want to make make it all about politics. And I've got to use my platform to make this political statement. And it just becomes so tiring. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I will always go back to, and I know that Ricky Gervais is off color and he's an atheist and all that. So mm -hmm. I don't necessarily endorse everything that he says. Right, right. Um, but his monologue, and uh, I think it was 2019, or maybe <laughs> actually, actually might have been right at the beginning of 2020, which is even funnier. Uh, he did the uh, Academy Awards. Uh, he was the host. And his opening monologue is the best monologue I have ever seen of any <laughs> award show. Like he just spent. 10, eight, 10 minutes, whatever, just trashing Hollywood. Like y'all yeah. really think so much of yourselves, but yeah. everyone hates this show <laughs> <laughs> was kind of his point. Like yeah. he's, he said at some point he has a show on Netflix and he said like, yeah, that it's going to go on for three or four hours. And he's like, my gosh, I could stream the entire first season of my show on Netflix. Yeah. It would be a better <laughs> use of my time than sitting here and watching uh, and, yeah. or, you know, hosting this show. Yeah. Uh, so if, if you haven't looked that up and watched it, uh, I highly recommend uh, looking yeah. it up and watching it. Uh, no, yeah. And it's great because it's like, he's attacking the fact that they're so unself-aware. They're just so, you know, taking themselves so seriously. And I get it. You're big and famous and in big movies and it's, it's, it's cool and everything, Yeah. but don't take yourself so seriously. Like just don't. Yeah. And it, it's more fun for everyone when that's the case. <laughs> Just enjoy. Just enjoy. Life yeah, is is my my right. thought. Like, just have fun with it, and don't make everything a high and mighty event that you need to to I don't know preach at people. Right. Uh, right. At. So I don't know. I just I I think we need to have spaces where we can turn off the political brain and just enjoy yeah. being with one another. Yeah. Because uh, at the end of the day, I don't really care what your politics are. I just want to have, you know, people just want to have relationships and want yeah. to, you know, enjoy being with one another. And I think 2020 has made it so hard to connect with people. We don't need another layer to make it no. that much harder. And, and look, there's nothing wrong with if you feel a burden to speak about an issue you care about, you know, go for it. But there's there's tactful ways to do it. For and, sure. um, you know, there's un, you know there's improper ways to do it and that that just turn off an audience and uh you know i think that's what we're seeing now we're seeing the trend in that direction it's not fun. it's not fun for anyone i for one don't even attempt to watch the oscars anymore i just don't care and um yeah uh, same so, for me so so it doesn't bother me that they're losing ratings they lost me a long time ago so <laughs> yeah there you go exactly but, but anyway all right we are out of time for today uh thanks so much for uh, checking out the podcast um, you can subscribe, follow us over on the Faithwire YouTube channel for now. Coming to the uh, iTunes and all that stuff really soon. So uh, we'll be back here tomorrow with more news from a Christian perspective. God bless. <laughs>